Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We press on in our study of Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. We will pick up in verse 1. Verse 1 of chapter 6. Follow as I read Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 3. This is the Word of God. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Amen. So, remember that this passage is a part of a larger section in the letter where Paul is teaching us about uh, the God-given structures, authority structures in certain relationships. Uh, We spent a number of weeks talking about the husband and wife, and now we're on to parents and children. There is an established order to our relationships, and in order to flourish as God intended, we must embrace the position that God assigned to us as well as the duties that flow from the assigned position. For example, the husband is the head of the wife, the wife is the helper of the husband. Uh, So many problems in our marriages can be traced back to the fact that the husband won't own his responsibilities as the leader of the marriage and the wife won't embrace the fact that God didn't design her to wear the pants in the marriage. So God has given us certain positions and not others. Uh, We must embrace our assigned positions. This is a countercultural thing. So it might seem oppressive to us because uh, we have been so steeped in this culture that hates any authority except me, myself, and I. But the authority structures in God's design are a very good thing. Just like in the military, we've used that example before. There are certain ranks um, that are in authority over other ranks, and it is imperative that each assume their assigned position. If you lose the order and the structure of relationships in the military, you get chaos and you lose. So it is with husband and wife, so it is with parents and children. Children are called to obey their parents in the Lord, for this is right. And not only is it right, we also see in our text that this is good. Children obeying their parents, honoring their father and mother as an ensign in the Navy would honor and obey his superior officer. Not only is it right, it is also good. It leads to flourishing. Honor your father and mother that it may go well with you. Now, if I were talking to a room full of kids, uh, I would talk about this passage one way. But given our context, I'm going to spend the majority of our time talking about this uh, according to, um, you know, for the parents of, of children. But before that, let me say this. Regardless of age, we are always called to honor our parents. There is a change in the nature of the relationship when the, when the children become adults, uh, leaving the nest, establishing their own lives. For those who marry, leaving father, mother, cleaving to one's husband or wife. There's a clear change in that nature of a relationship between parents and children. At the same time, we ought to always seek to honor our parents. Just like even though Captain Neville's... Captain? 
is retired from his duties, if he walks into a company of shipmates, his position will still be honored. So even as our, uh, the nature of our relationship with our folks changes throughout our lives, we ought to hold as the sort of north star in order to keep our bearings in that relationship, honor your father and mother. Granted, for some, that transition can be rough. Uh, you start to see things about your parents that you've never seen before. They grow more crotchety, and so do we. Uh, for many, it can be that you respect them less and less, and, and for good reason, much of the time. But even if you're in a situation where your parents are not worthy of respect, you can still give them respect. Even if they are not worthy of honor as we see it, they are still in that position as our parents and we're called to honor them. And even if, you're, if we break it down a little bit more, um, if you have both of your parents, there's usually going to be one of them to whom it's, easy, you know, it's easier to honor that parent than it is this parent, and we just simply need to hear uh, to honor them both. There will be many different applications of this in many different seasons of life, but I think, again, if we keep as our North Star to, uh, in our relationship with our parents, honor your father and mother, uh, it will go well. All right. Let us consider the passage from the vantage point of parents. So some of you may, may have taken the John Piper article home last week. If not, there are a few more in the back. The title, Parents Require Obedience of Your Children. And his aim was that. Um, the first sentence reads, I am writing this to plead with Christian parents to require obedience of their children. So he looks out at the landscape of Christian parenting as he sees it, and he sees a big problem. He sees young children who pay no attention to their parents' requests with no consequences. Parents tell a child two or three times to do something, they don't do it, and then you bribe them and they may or may not you know, take the bribe. So Piper makes nine observations that he hopes will rescue Christian parents from what he says, you know, the folly of such parenting and rescue our children from the results of the folly of being led, being left to lead themselves. So the first observation made there comes from our passage in Ephesians 6. He points out that requiring obedience of children is implicit in the biblical command that children obey their parents. So the argument is, if God requires our children to obey us, then we ought to require our children to obey us. Piper again, he says, it's part of our job to teach children the glory of a happy, submissive spirit to authorities that God has put in place. Parents represent God to small children. It is deadly to train children to ignore the commands of God. So let's talk about that for a bit. Owning our authority as parents and requiring obedience of our children. Uh, This was Donna's third core value of parenting last week. Number one, cherish your marriage. Number two, pray and seek wisdom from God. Number three, own your authority. God has established you as authority in your child's life. And this, it hit a nerve with me, but I think it seemed to really hit a nerve with everyone else in the group as well. I think it's because it exposes one of the areas where we really have missed the mark. Maybe it's because we look back at past generations that were more authoritative in their parenting and yet maybe cold and distant relationally, and we don't want to do that just that way. Uh, Maybe it's because 
we've bought in, whether knowingly or unknowingly, to the lies of the culture that the way to true freedom and flourishing is to become your own authority. I don't think many in here believe that, but um, regardless, it's imperative for us and for our children that we become established in the paths that God has set for us. Owning our authority as parents, embracing the fact that one of the main ways that God requires our children or calls our children to walk with Him is in the context of our homes is to obey us and honor us. And therefore, we must require obedience. This means that we must discipline every disobedience. When our children are not disciplined for disobeying and dishonoring us, they are taught that it is okay to disobey and dishonor us. The reality is that their disobedience to parents is disobedience to God. Dishonoring your parents is dishonoring to God. Now, Maybe we need to make less demands of our children. You know, maybe there are so many rules in place. I mean, the more rules there are, the more rules they have to break. Uh, But regardless, they ought to never be allowed to disregard and disobey our authority. Our children ought to be disciplined every disobedience. So, why do you think that's hard for us? It's exhausting. It takes time. Don't have time all the time. Sometimes maybe we think, you know, we've had to be a little hard on them this week. I mean, what they really need to flourish is more emotional connection and positive feelings and self-esteem, and we're kind of hitting that self-esteem. And you know, When in reality, what God says they need for their flourishing is they need to learn to respect and submit to the authority that God has put over them. Um, They need to learn that they don't rule the world. We all need to learn that. And one of the ways they become established in that reality is by learning that they don't rule the home. So, another reason that it's hard for us to own our authority and discipline every disobedience is because if we're honest, we're thinking, well, what about grace? You know? I mean... This seems kind of like a lot of law. What about grace? And so we think that grace looks like, well, I've been hard on him for a while, and, and you know, it's time to ease up a bit. Uh, I think there's, there are good intentions behind this in many cases. Of course, uh, sometimes you're just tired, but, you know, a lot of times there's some thought like, uh, I, I want to teach my kids about God's grace. And I would say this is a pretty widespread thing in our generation of parenting. You know, discipline the child for a while, but this time I'm going to give them grace so they don't give us, get a spanking or whatever it is. And I just want to push back on that a little bit. And I'm not down with that trend. Uh, and here's why. Because the discipline is the grace. The discipline is the grace from God for the child. God disciplines us because He loves us. God's grace is on display in that... He disciplines us for our disobedience to Him. He stops us in our disobedience and corrects us and instructs us. And we're called to minister that grace to our children by requiring them to obey and honor us, disciplining them for disobeying and dishonoring us. Now, don't get me wrong. We should also be excited and, uh, and should try to be uh, teaching our children the Gospel every chance we get. Um, 
but not at the expense of discipline. And I guess that would be my plea today. The discipline and the gospel are friends. So we don't need to pit them against one another. And I think that's what we end up doing because inevitably if the child has experienced uh, what we are calling grace and what we mean is we skip the discipline, then they're going to be asking for that grace more. Well, I want grace this time. But they're actually learning, I think, a flawed definition of grace as it relates to discipline. In their minds, they're pitting grace against discipline, but in God's mind, and in reality, discipline is a grace for that child. Um, Maybe it's because we tend to think about discipline as punishment, um, but the reality is we discipline to warn of punishment. You know, we discipline in order to instruct. We teach our children to repent of their sins, that they cannot continue in their disobedience. We warn them that not to repent of their sins is to sign up for God's punishment. But we don't have to be punished for our sins. And uh, we teach them to believe the good news of the forgiveness of sins in Christ, to repent and believe and follow Jesus according to His ways. Discipline is a gift, and it serves to warn us of the punishment that awaits us if we go on in our sin. And it serves to correct us and lead us back to the Lord again and again. So, I want to get into a little technical discussion about God's law because I think a better grasp on the functions of God's law can help us here. In our passage, our our children are being given God's law. Obey your parents and the Lord. Honor your father and mother. That's uh, honor your father and mother is from the Ten Commandments. So if we're wondering, you know, whether the Ten Commandments are still in play in the New Testament, we don't have to wonder anymore. All of God's Word is still in play, including all of the law in the Old Testament. The question is, how is it in play? Uh, There are parts of the law, like the sacrificial system, that, you know, the sole purpose now is to bring a foreshadowing and show us the one true sacrifice, the last sacrifice in Jesus. So there are no more sacrifices, but those passages are still in play. They lead us to Christ. But the Ten Commandments are different than that. They don't exist only to lead us to Jesus. They do that, but there's also more. Uh, Theologians talk about the three functions or three uses of the law. They are, number one, a civil or societal function. Number two, the law functions as a tutor to lead us to Christ. And number three, the law functions as a guide for the believer. So bear with me. And I really think this is going to be helpful. I think it's going to help us better own the authority that God has given us in requiring obedience of our children. So we're in the position to require obedience, which means, you ready for this? One of our main responsibilities as parents is to minister God's law to our children. And then we let God use His law how He always uses His law in various ways. Number one, He uses it to bless civilization. That civil or societal function. Number two, He uses it to convict us, to to break us down and show us that we have not fulfilled the law. But then He leads us to Christ, the One who fulfilled the law on our behalf. And number three, He uses it, the law, to show us how to follow Him. Once we've come to Christ, okay, now what? This is how we follow Him. The law is a guide. For the believer. So, in all of this, the law doesn't change. The law doesn't go anywhere. 
The law stays the same. It's as holy and good as it has ever been. It just functions differently at different times. Um, So one of the main jobs, one of our main jobs as parents is to minister the law to our children. God requires them to obey and honor us, so we require them to obey and honor us. I mean, you're, you're ministering the law, the, the commandment. Um, and we discipline every disobedience. This is for the good of society. A child who has been disciplined well is usually going to grow up to be an asset to the greater uh, civilization, community. A child who has not been disciplined well uh, is going to be a liability. Of course, there are exceptions to the rule. But um, this is also for the good of the child. But when that good takes root, and I think this is key, it may not seem good to us. When that good takes root, it may not seem good. When the law is functioning as a tutor or a schoolmaster uh, to the child, the child is going to get broken. The law breaks us. That's a good thing. So if we do our job to minister the law to them like we're supposed to, requiring them to obey and disciplining every disobedience, they're going to feel like failures because they can't keep the law. They're going to wake up and do the same thing we tend to do. Okay, I'm going to do better today. I'm going to do it today. I'm not going to disobey mommy and daddy. And then it's, you know, seven minutes after they woke up. Boy, I've done it again. But that is a good thing for them to feel like failures up against the law. They need to feel like failures in knowing that they have not kept God's law. The most damning thing that anyone could do is to think themselves sufficient in the face of God's law. We are not sufficient. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is hard for us as parents with our kids. We don't want our little babies to hurt. They need to hurt. They're going to have to break and hurt in order to know Christ. And they're going to have to learn that they have fallen short of the glory of God. And that is not a comfortable thing for any of us. So our role is to continue in our assigned position, continue ministering the law to them, requiring obedience, disciplining every disobedience. Of course we want to teach them the Gospel. More importantly though, we want the Gospel to stick in their hearts, right? I mean, we want them to receive the Gospel. We want them to live in the glories of the Gospel. We want them to walk in the freedoms of the Gospel. And the law serves to that end. Lord willing, the law is going to break our kids. It breaks every Christian. And it's going to lead them to Christ, the one who fulfilled the law on their behalf. Again, our disobedience is damning if we're left to ourselves. But praise be to God, He did not leave us to ourselves. He sent His Son Jesus to live the life that we have not lived in perfect obedience to the law. Not only the letter, but also the Spirit of the law. And to die the death that we deserve, punished under God's wrath, bearing every curse of the law that we earned for disobeying the law. Jesus paid it all. Our sins are 
forgiven. All of them paid for in Christ. We want our children to know that. We want our children to, to know that in a way, as Ephesians says, that surpasses knowledge. To be able to feel that and live in that. In order to get there, they're going to have to be broken under the law as it functions to show them their sin and lead them to Christ. The law serves the greater good in society. The law serves to lead us to Christ. And then, the law guides us as believers. So, the question last week was, well, when will they start to like the discipline? You know, They're kind of bucking this discipline thing right now. Uh, newfound change at home, and, and it's not going well for them in any way, shape, or form. But the bigger question is really, when will they start to love and obey God's law? And ultimately, the timing is up to God. That is something that we cannot affect. We cannot change their hearts. It is often a slow process for us to love and obey God's law, and I think we should expect it to be for them. Only God can change the heart And when He does, they will start to see and grow in seeing the glorious goodness of God's law. You know, the longest chapter in the Bible is a love story about God's law. Psalm 119. That's where we want to get. That's what we're after. To love God's Word, God's law. The law doesn't change. We do. We start to believe the Lord. We start to desire to follow Him. We start to see the goodness of His ways and trust Him over and above our feelings. Well, how do we follow Him? One of the main ways a child follows Him is by obeying and honoring his parents or her parents. Again, the law remains unchanged, but God uses the law in various ways. It has a civil function. It has a tutor function to lead us to Christ. It also functions to lead us in the way that we should go as we seek to follow Him. Our job, this is not our only job, but according to our text, where there is the law, one of our big jobs as parents is to keep ministering the law to our children, requiring them to obey, disciplining every disobedience, trusting the Lord that He will continue to use the law how He always uses the law. Alright, does anyone have any questions or comments? One comment okay. is that uh, discipline needs to be combined with relationship. Mm-hmm. That is, discipline without the relationship with that parent leads to violence mm-hmm. and rebellion. Mm-hmm. And our, our role as dads is not to be just the disciplinarian, but also, you know, fun and play ball and Right. Have teas with little girls or whatever it is yeah. that, that child needs to have that connection. Not That's a good point. Well, God's discipline to us comes in the form of a relationship. It comes in the context of His love and commitment to us. You know, we talked about the covenant commitment of God. His commitment to us undergirds any commitments we make to Him. Well, His discipline of us comes in that context. You know, we know, we don't always feel, but we know He loves us. We know He's committed to us. He sent His Son to die for us. And so it's a great point. And our children will view God how they view us. Mm-hmm. Anyone else? Uh, well, um, my dad, uh, he uh, and my mom, they taught me once um, 
just um, I was making an excuse for someone I, I used to be friends with, like, oh, well, it's just uh, her parents, like, just a, they just um, spoiled her a little bit too much. That's kind of why she's act, she acted like that, just, uh, but she'll grow out of it. My parents are like, look, it's not surprising that a child is like that if the parents are total pushovers and, and, and kids act spoiled. Uh, but it's still the child's fault he or she is choosing to be that way. It's mm -hmm. uh, also a choice. It's like it's 50% the parents' fault if mm -hmm. they did poor parenting, not caring, and their kids messed up. But should still be mad at the kid for choosing to be a horrible person. So. Right. Well, I think, yeah, I mean, so everyone's sin is their own responsibility, no doubt. And, and regardless of how you got there, that's your responsibility to repent of your sins and, and believe. I would actually say, though, that um, the sins of our children are 100% our responsibility. Maybe not our fault, you know, maybe that, um, but... And I go to Job for that. Um, you know, Job is a picture of godliness, and uh, that's the way the book opens. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright, one who feared God and turned away from evil. He was a godly man. And uh, it talks about his great possessions. It talks about his sons and daughters, and they, they had... All these things. And then his sons used to go hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, and they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And here's the point When the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. He doesn't even know that they did sin. But here is a godly father who takes complete responsibility for the sins of his children. So I think um, while, yes, everyone is completely responsible for their own sin, we as parents ought to take full responsibility for the sins of our children, to go before God. So let's, let's take an example. Let's say one of your children gets into pornography. Uh, Room this size, guaranteed to happen. The world we're living in. So what do we, you know, is it a all on them? Certainly we should want to teach them the responsibility that they have for their sin. And yet, how do I go before the Lord? This is a sin that has taken root in my house. It's my responsibility, regardless of if it's my fault. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? I guess it's one of those, it's the point of view, the um, child and the parents. Um, what I meant by horrible child, I'm not talking about a, a kid who's just a little spoiled. No, that's an overreaction. I'm meaning like a, a people who are in court and like they use right. the, That's what I mean. No, I understand. And I, I don't mean to discount what you're saying, but anyway. Yeah. Anyone else? I think it, oh, sorry. Go ahead. I think it sounds great and good in, in my head start to fall apart where I'm trying to apply it. Which part? The whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> like, God's law is perfect. I don't think my law is necessarily perfect. So what's my motivation for why I'm requiring obedience of my child at this particular moment? 
Well, I would even say, you know, um, but to, you know, Jesus submitted to ungodly authority. And for the authority structures in the home in First Peter, that is our example. Christ has given His example. He, he submitted even to the point of death on a cross to the ungodly rulers who sentenced Him to death. The height of injustice. It is the worst execution of leadership in the history of the world. And yet, Jesus is still our example in submitting to their leadership as horrific as it was and entrusting himself to God. So I would say the reason we require obedience is because God requires their obedience to us even when we're horrible at being a parent. Um, The way that God calls them to respond to that is to submit to us and respect us and honor us and obey us um, like Christ did with the worst leadership in the history of the world. You know, so I mean, but it doesn't, because it feels like, but I'm not, I'm being a jerk. I'm yelling at them. I'm just impatient, if I'm honest. I just want them to be convenient to me. You will listen to me, you know, or whatever it is, which we have to work on, and that's not good. And we have to repent of our own sin. And yet, what does God call a child to do, even when their parents are sinful in their leadership? He calls them to honor them and and love them and obey them. So I think that we have to continue in light of that to require them to obey and honor regardless. And then in terms of how it applies to us in, in terms of the uses of the law, I think it's just a helpful thing to know. We often get worked up and broke down in our poor execution of whatever it is. I feel like a failure. I'm waking up every day with this new resolve to obey God in these things and I haven't done them well yet. And it's been a while where I've been really wanting to. But that the law is doing good. The, the law is showing us how separated we are from holiness in and of ourselves. Leads us back to Christ, the only one who is righteous and holy and good. The Gospel that His righteousness is our righteousness because of His life and death and resurrection... And then we wake up again, I'm going to follow you. <laughs> you know? But there's this cycle of the law doing its thing, and it looks different. Um, I don't know if that makes sense. I think sometimes it's easier to me when I see, here's the rule in our house, or you are blatantly disobeying, here is the discipline. Right. And I've seen a saying like being a parent is like being slowly pecked to death by chickens. And it's like it's all but it's all the little things. Yes, you will put on shoes to go outside. Yes, you will shave your legs because you're wearing a dress today. Yes, you will shower this morning. And those are the things that they lose their minds over. Mm-hmm. And I'm sitting there like, this isn't like a rule. This is just like I'm trying to teach you how to be a human being. Yeah. And they fight it all the time. And that's the stuff that I want to be like, fine, I don't care. Smell. Go to school. Yeah. But then you're like, or you see like friends affecting her negatively. So I want to implement these things because it's for her good. Not that she's done anything wrong. Right. But, because, you know, it is just that stuff wears you out every day. It does. But, so that's where I'm always like, this is not, this is me just trying trying to do the job that God has called me to yeah. do. And like, I can only do it in his strength. 
and I'm going to screw up every single day. Yeah. It's okay. I'm it okay. is. And that's where I'm like, I'm trying to mold them. I want them, I want to point them to Christ and everything I do, but and you know you may resolve to let them stink for a week and be like yeah just do your thing go go to school like that you don't have to wear shoes they'll send i have a question i mean i think too what i was hearing you say is that um to discipline is showing them grace but i mean i have a very specific example with annie she sent the same sin twice kind of back to back and so we disciplined her and one of the disciplines was we were taking away all activities which one of those was going to include the father-daughter dance back mm-hmm. in February. That was a real struggle for me because mm-hmm. that's once a year. It's something Jason gets to do with them. Mm-hmm. And so Jason and I talked about it, and it allowed us the opportunity to talk about grace, to mm-hmm. talk about her sin, to talk about God's grace. And we prayed over what that sin was. Mm-hmm. And we said, you know what? God shows us grace every single day, and we're sinners every single day. Mm-hmm. And so... We want to show you that grace by allowing you to understand that you sinned, but allowing you to go, because mm-hmm. this is important that you do that with your dad. So I I don't know if I'm hearing you correctly, if that was like a wrong decision as a parent, but I felt like being able to talk to her about God's grace, yeah. that that was good, even though we had disciplined her. Well, and I think, look, as to Elaine's point, there a lot of this is gray area, and here we are trying to follow the Lord and and teach them God's ways. I'm not going to tell you that's a wrong thing to do. I think I think I'm pushing back on the what I see so often is that you know, we're going to give them grace. It ends up being they end up pitting discipline against grace. And yet, one of my favorite stories, Braxton Brady, you know, uh he was talking about a neighbor kid that broke a window and he was so scared and he's taking him home to his mom and she's going to kill me. And Braxton stands in front of the kid to his mom and says, whatever you're going to do to him, do to me. Now that's the gospel, you know, in his neighborhood. Um, so I, you know, but a lot of times too, we have to remember that, I mean, grace is not at the expense of the punishment. The punishment just went to him. So, I mean, but you're teaching them that. And... Um, and discipline is not punishment. Discipline is to teach us the gospel. All I'm trying to do is give us the principle so that we have something in, in mind to work around in these very gray areas, which they all are. We're just trying to apply the things that we see so that you went before the Lord in prayer, concerned to lead your daughter to Christ. Praise God. You know, I think we go back to He's not out to get us. He, we are very flawed in our execution of everything we're trying to do, but God strikes straight blows with crooked sticks, and all we can do is come before Him with open hands and say, we need you to lead us, we don't know what we're doing, and this is the direction He's leading you, go. So, no, I don't... I think when we hear law, we expect bright line rules. Yeah. And it's not... While there are some of those, most of those are, you know, shoes on. Is it really important for their spiritual development that they have shoes on? No. Is it important that if we tell them to get their shoes on, that they get them on? Yes. Yes. And and I think being somebody who works in the law all the time, we think that our civil law is very, you know, bright line rules and it never is. Right. In any particular. And so I think it's very hard because we... That's how we function well. That's how our children, we all know they do better instruction when they know what to expect, and we're the same way. And our kids never do what we expect, or you know, it never falls in this nice little category 
of, okay, you lied to me, so here's the punishment. I mean, occasionally it does, but not usually. It's well, very hard to... It is. And so I think to Donna's point, she was saying, hey, when they're little, way younger than we normally are comfortable with, let them do anything and everything they can do. It's going to waste your time. It's not going to be done well. They're going to have the wrong clothes on. You know, but I think that's the point of trying to give less commands and rules because we do give so many orders. But the reality is, if they disregard the order, they need to be disciplined. Even, even if we're giving too many. Because they're required to honor and obey. So we need to factor that in in terms of how many rules and orders we're giving. And, um, and yet we can't get through the day without giving a lot and they're required to obey us. And discipline is one of the main responsibilities that we have in raising them up. But you know, I love the discipline. One thing that I do with Levi, and I, he is his father's son. And uh, he gets disciplined, you know, what some people may think severely. But I always, after I spank him, I hug him to talk to him. And I can't remember if that was Ted Tripp that talked about that, but um, we always say to him, and to Eva Claire, because she is her brother's sister, but, um, uh, you know, we discipline you because we love you. You know, we're just constantly communicating that to him. This really is for your good. You really can't continue to follow your sin. And yet there is, it's not... If he could articulate, I don't think he would say it feels like the strong arm of the law. Law and gospel are all mixed up in there together and the love and commitment and affection that we have for them as parents and yet trying to discipline the disobedience. One last thing, we got to go. Um, the parent, we should never uh, teach the child that it's okay to dishonor or disobey the other parent. And many of us grew up in homes like that. Many of us fail to do that well. Many of us think the other parent is over the top or under the top, uh, you know. And so, but it's, it's vital that we never let them dishonor or disobey the authority of the other parent uh, because that is ultimately leading them and letting them disobey and dishonor God. Um, even worse, we can never undercut the authority of the other parent. You know, don't tell your mom. Don't tell your dad kind of thing. Uh, And that starts to happen a lot more as they get a little bit older and kind of master the manipulation thing, um, which again is undercutting God's authority. For all of us, we we fall woefully short. We return again and again to the grace of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our sins are forgiven. Our failures and shortcomings are overcome. He gives us the Holy Spirit, not only for forgiveness, but also for transformation that we might better walk in His paths. A lot of it's gray area. We're taking the principles. We're trying to apply them. Uh, Do it before the Lord, and He will bless you. Let's pray. Our Father, I do pray that uh, even uh, despite my shortcomings here, that the Uh, principles would be firmly planted and that you would teach us how to apply them in our day-to-day and week-to-week in our marriages with our children. Um, I pray that all of these balances that we know we need to get right, that we would get them right. And that can only happen by your grace. Um, Lord, we are thankful indeed 
that every last sin and failure and shortcoming has been overcome. Lord Jesus, we will never know um, just what it costs you. And we're thankful we won't. Thank you for the forgiveness of our sins. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit to empower us to new life. Help us to walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh. Uh, Give us wisdom, Lord. We need it every day. And we do pray for all of the children and grandchildren uh, represented here today, that they would know You and love You and follow You, Lord. That they would know Your love for them in a way that surpasses knowledge. Uh, We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.